We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. I'm going to do the whole chapter, but there's so much here you're going to see as we go through that I didn't want to rip you off by going too fast. But look what we read here in verse 1. It says, Now in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams, and his spirit was so troubled that his sleep left him. If you remember, Nebuchadnezzar is the king of Babylon. Um, I was listening to a study by Pastor Chuck, and he said that probably in the history of the world, there was not an individual who had so much power. Um, We'll even see later the Medo-Persian kingdom that rises up after Babylon was bound by their signet ring. They, They didn't have the authority that the king of Babylon did. And so it's about 603 B.C. It's in the second year of his reign. And uh, somewhere along the line, maybe he had too many tacos the night before. I'm not sure, you know. But, uh, you know, that night um, he had a multiple uh, series of dreams. um, And he was so bothered by them that the Bible says right here his sleep left him. In other words, uh, he couldn't sleep. And so we read in verse 2 that the king gave the command to call the magicians, the astrologers, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans to tell the king his dreams. And so they came and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I have had a dream, and my spirit is anxious to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic. And from this point here in chapter 2, verse 4, all the way to chapter 7, verse 28, you're going to see it's written in Aramaic, which was the language of the day. Uh, and, And it says, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will give the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, My decision is firm. If you do not make known the dream to me and its interpretation, you shall be cut in pieces, and your houses shall be made an ash heap. However, if you tell the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts, rewards, and great honor. Therefore, tell me the dream and its interpretation. Have you ever had a dream and, um, you know, it, it, it bothered you? Um, maybe it was vivid. Maybe it was intense. Maybe it was a deep dream. And, and you know, maybe you woke up and you, and you couldn't remember it. Has that ever happened to you? You know, we're not really sure. Uh, theologians, are, are, are they differ over whether or not Nebuchadnezzar really forgot the dream. Or if maybe he was just going to test these guys, these magicians and sorcerers and astrologers and Chaldeans, uh, whether or not they were really good counselors, whether or not they were in tune with, you know, what he would consider to be the gods. But we know this, you know, that dreams are, are definitely fascinating. We all have them. As a matter of fact, doctors and scientists tell us that we have dreams every single night. You know, they say uh, three or four times a night you have a period of sleep that lasts about 90 minutes. It's called REM or rapid eye movement sleep. And it's during that time that your brain is active. And according to doctors, it's then that conditions are right for story-like dreams that are rich in action and complexity and emotion. 
You know, they say that you're most likely to recall dreams if you wake at the end of a REM episode. And so if your spouse is dreaming and, you know, you're like, hey, they're in the middle of the if you wake them up right there and then, you'll be able to find out what they're dreaming about, you know. Um, but if you don't get a lot of REM sleep, what ends up happening is you have a, 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 a craving for it. And then what ends up happening is your dreams are even more intense during that time. And so, um, you know, maybe from a worldly perspective, this is what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. Um, we also know that um, scientists, uh, when they study dreams, a lot of times those dreams consist of the worries that we have. You know, the things and the cares that we carry with us as we fall asleep that night. It could be something you went through that day or maybe something you're worried about tomorrow. And that might be the content of which your dream consists of. And, you know, we know when we look at this dream, eventually it is going to be about, you know, King Nebuchadnezzar and his kingdom. And more than likely, these were things that were on his heart as he falls asleep. But, you know, as he's there, I don't think it's just a physiological thing. I don't think it's just a worry that he carried to sleep with him. What we're going to find as we go through our study today is it was God. It was the Lord who gave him this dream. You know, and in looking at this, again, not too sure if he remembered it or if he really did forget it. But here we see that Nebuchadnezzar has these wild dreams. He can't sleep, you know, and so he calls these so-called wild wise men of his administration, his counselors. And he tells them, listen, if you tell me my dream and his interpretation, I will reward you greatly. I will honor you. I will promote you. But if you don't tell me my dream and its interpretation, I'm not just going to cut your head off. I'm going to cut you in pieces. And I'm not just going to you know, wipe out your house. It will be a dunghill. It will be rubble. And more than likely, that's not just the house, the physical house. It's the, it's the family. And so it's a, it's a real tough situation. And so the wise men, they hear this. They can't believe what they're asking. And so... You know, they, they ask again there in verse 7. Uh, they answered in, again and said, Let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will give its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know for certain that you would gain time because you see that my decision is firm. If you do not make known the dream to me, and there is only one decree for you, for you have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before the to before me till the time is changed therefore tell me the dream and i shall know that you can give me its interpretation you know the king you know when they come again they say hey this doesn't make any sense you're asking us to tell you your dream and the interpretation of the dream and if you tell us the dream then you know we'll be able to tell you the interpretation and you know we all probably you know dabble with that every once in a while do you guys ever have dreams and then you wake up in the morning and maybe you try to figure out what did it mean or you tell somebody and they say hey this is what your dream meant i mean you know dreams are 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 pretty interesting i've had dreams in my life and i believe some of them were from god and i and i know for sure some were i know some weren't some weren't from god You know, and we got to be really careful with that. Now, don't overdo it. Jeremiah 23, it says that this guy who has dreams, let him tell dreams. But he who has my word, let him tell my word. Because what is the wheat to the chaff? 
And so dreams are like chaff at times. The word we know for sure is solid. But don't take away the dreams. You know, the book of Acts chapter 2 says in the last day, old men will dream dreams and young men will have visions. And so God can, I'm an old guy, so I can dream, right? Some of you younger guys, God's going to give you visions. We're going to see that's in between a dream and the physical reality. There's something kind of in between. But God can communicate through our dreams. We just have to test everything. And so, you know, he's saying, you know, and again, you know, you have your dream and someone tells you what it means or, you know, what they think it means. Are you sure? Are you sure they gave you the right interpretation? Well, you want to know one way you can be sure is if you told them, hey, I had a dream last night. And then you tell them this. You say, hey, you tell me my dream. <laughs> and then I'll know for sure that your interpretation is true. Because what? Then it's like you're, you're, you're receiving the supernatural revelation. That's necessary. And that's what the king is looking for right here. He doesn't want them to buy time. He's firm and determined in his decision. He wouldn't move. He wouldn't budge. He wouldn't move because God was moving. And we're going to see that. This guy, Nebuchadnezzar, is a pretty stubborn guy. Again, a guy that has all this authority. We're going to see in chapter, I think it's four, that he gets humbled, you know, because God's dealing with him. But here, right here, in his human, you know, responsibility and choice and free will, he was, you know, just stubborn as an ox. But God was on the throne. We're going to see that as we go through here. And so we read right here in verse 10, the Chaldeans answered the king and they said, there is not a man on earth who can tell the king's matter. Therefore no king, lord or ruler has ever asked such things of any magician or astrologer or Chaldean. It is a difficult thing that the king requests and there is no other who can tell it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. You see, and here, you guys, verse, verse 11, this is the heart of what is going on at this juncture of history. You know, the, the magi, the sorcerers, the astrologers, the scientists, the intellectuals, the graduates of the great universities, the Chaldeans, they were, were living in the land of Chaldea. The Babylonians, most commentators believe these to be the wisest men in the land. None of these guys has the answer to the question that the king asked. None of these guys were the ones that they could look to for true counsel in this juncture of history. And so, you know, they're just saying, you know what? No one's ever asked this. What you're asking is just way beyond human capacity. They say right there, and here's the key, you guys. There is no other who can tell it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. Boom. See, and here is what God, God wants to do now. You know, we studied last week how the Lord took Daniel out, you know, and, and, you know, it just makes you cry to think that God would take this young man, this young godly man, this young godly man who has such a beautiful future there in, in Israel, 15 years old, 16 years old, no blemish, so smart, so bright, such a godly young man, and he's stripped away. 
He's stripped away from his land, and he's taken hundreds of miles away into the enemy's land, into foreign territories, taken away into Babylon. And it is the tragedy of all tragedies. But what we find in life is God is able to take those tragedies and make them triumphs. God is able to take those stumbling stones and make them stepping stones. God is able to take the pain and give it purpose and make it great. Because what we find what was going on in the world is that there were the the common belief was that, you know, there's a plurality of God. There's a multiple multiplicity of gods. Like he says right here, and they use the word gods in its plural form. But we know the truth. Daniel knew the truth. There's only one God. And that's the one that you want to get to know. And not only that, what we find right here is that they said that, you know, no one can tell it to the king there in verse 11 except the gods. And then they say, whose dwelling is not with flesh. See, and, and what we find is that God sent Daniel over there. God sent Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over there. God sent four guys over there because he wanted to tell them that there is not, you know, a multiplicity of gods. It's not a plurality of gods. There is only one God, and that one God does dwell with man. That's a message that, that, that they're going to take. And that is so cool because, you know, the Lord sends Daniel over there and he wants to reveal this truth to them. Remember what had happened to the Jews is they, you know, God shows them. And they are God's chosen people. Amazing testimony when you study Israel. They are God's chosen people, but they were chosen to evangelize. They were chosen. They received the scriptures. God did the miracles. God gave them a testimony. God saved them. Why? So that they can evangelize. So they can go out and tell it to the nations of the living God, Jehovah God, Yahweh God, the saving God, the one God. But what did they do? For the most part, they kept it to themselves. For the most part, they said, you know what, we're saved and the rest of the Gentile world was only created to fuel the fires of hell. And so what did God do? God plucked them out of the land. And God sent them over to Babylon, which was the world empire then. And then God would now teach them these things through Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That really there is only one God. And we're going to see as we go through this that he is a personal God. He really is. You know, look at verse uh, 12. Uh, It says, For this reason the king was angry and very furious and gave the command to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree went out, and they began killing the wise men, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. You know, the devil, he he wants to... John chapter 10 says, he's come to kill, steal, and destroy he wants you to die. He wants you to die in your sins. He wants you to kill you. He wants to strip you away from God. He wants to separate you from God. He wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy your family. He's got an agenda, right? And here we see the death, and I believe even the enemy trying to get to Daniel. 
But God had an agenda as well. And what Genesis 50:20 says, what they intended for evil, God is going to use for good. The very plan, the very plan, the very plan that they came up with to destroy Daniel and his companions and these guys would be the very plan with which God would give the victory. It kind of reminds me in the book of Exodus when, you know, the, the, the plan of the enemy was kill the, kill the boys. You remember the, the Jewish people were multiplying rapidly. Uh, if you remember there in the book of Exodus, it says in the New Living Translation, there was a population explosion. And so all these Jews, man, there's this multitude of them. And so, you know, the, God, the wise guys of Egypt, they got together and they said, man, we got to do something about this because, man, these guys are multiplying like crazy. And so they said, this is our plan. The best plan they could come up with was let's kill the little boys. If they have a baby who's a boy, Let's kill the boys. And so their plan then was put into action. But their plan, it's interesting, was the very plan with which, you know, one day Amram and Jochebed had a little boy. His name was Moses. It says that they, they just saw him. He was beautiful. And because of the enemy's plan, Moses was put in a basket. Moses was put in the river. Moses was, you know, sent down that river, and Moses was raised in the house of Pharaoh. Moses was learned in the wisdom of the Egyptians. Moses was trained how to war. Moses was trained how to lead. It was in their very plan to destroy the Jews that God raised up a deliverer for the Jews. That's how awesome God is. And here they're like, well, we're going to destroy these guys. And that's their plan, right? We're going to get rid of this. And what ends up happening is in this plan, we're going to see that God's going to teach them the things that he wants to teach them. Number one, uh, it's not a plurality of gods. It's not a multiplicity of gods. There's only one God. Mark chapter 12, verse 32 says, There is one God and there is no other but he. Romans chapter 3, verse 30, Since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith. You know, you go to Cambodia, you go to India, you travel the world. A lot of the world believes there are many gods, sometimes even millions of gods. And we have to come and tell them that there's only one God. We're monotheistic people. God wanted to prove that there's only one God, not God's plural, but God's singular. And not only that, God wanted to prove that he does interact with men. That he would be willing to dwell with men, even to the point of friendship, even to the point of revealing secrets to men. You know, again, there in verse 11, the, the concept was, you know, there's only, you know, all these gods and, and, and he doesn't dwell with flesh. You know, they can't tell us dreams. That was their mentality because they didn't believe that God would dwell with men. But God wanted to prove that he does interact with men. Even in the Old Testament, Exodus chapter 29, verse 45, the Bible says, God says, I will dwell among the children of Israel and will be their God. See, God is not some personal thing outside time like the deists might choose or, you know, God's not this impersonal force or like the Buddhists will tell you one day, you know, when you die, you're like a drop of water that falls into the pond and you lose your identity and you, you know, fall into nirvana. You know, God's a personal God. 
And what we find in looking at this is God is a God who dwells with us. It's interesting. Not only does God dwell with us in in the flesh, but God dwelt in the flesh. We read that in John 1.1. 1, 1. Remember, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then in verse 14, it says, and the Word became flesh. God not only dwells with flesh, God dwells in flesh. That's how close God has come to us. One of my favorite books is a book by Max Lucado where it's God came near. You see, this is who God is. He dwells with us. You know, and if you read 1 Corinthians 3, 1 Corinthians 6, it's interesting. When you read the Old Testament, you find that God dwelt in the tabernacle, and then later they built the temple, God dwelt in the temple. Then Jesus came, God dwelt in him, right? And then eventually we see the church was established, and now God dwells where? God dwells in us. God's in you. 1 Corinthians 3 says God dwells in the congregation. God is here. God does dwell with flesh. God does live with us. And one day, the ultimate hope is that hope of heaven, where the Bible says in the book of Revelation 21, verse 3, And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them. And they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. You see, and that was the message. That's the message of Christianity. There's no other religion like Christianity that has a God who is absolutely and so amazingly personal as our God is. Our God knows how many hairs you have on your head. Our God knows how many tears you've cried, tears of joy, tears of pain. God knows your thoughts before you think them. God knows the words that you speak before you speak them. God knows everything about your past, every day, every moment, every situation. God knows all that's going on in the present. God knows everything about your future. God is a God who is so intertwined with your life that what we find is that when we see him, and I just trip out, I'm like, Lord, how can you do this with all these people here? What we do is we worship him. God knows what seat you're sitting in right now. You know, third row, second from the right. God sees you there, you know, because you're there every week, but, you know, different things. <laughs> God is so personal. God wanted to tell the world. God wanted to prove, well, how do you know there's only one God, just because they say no, because we study the Bible and we realize it's amazing, the prophecies we're going to see, especially in the book of Daniel. You know, he's a personal God. And I'll tell you guys a story. I know I've told it to some of you already, uh, but you know what? It just blew me away last Sunday. Um, I was walking through the aisle right there, and um, it was in between services, and I saw a piece of trash on the ground. And so I bent down to pick it up, and uh, as I got closer, I noticed it was a toothpick. It was a toothpick, and it was in the little clear plastic wrap. You guys seen those probably, right? And it was sealed and secure. And so I picked it up. I put it in my pocket, and I forgot about it. So after second service, I went to the, the, the office right here, and I was just kind of like just sitting there, you know, thinking about the Lord. And then my daughter came in. And, uh, and when she came in, it seemed like something was wrong. That something was heavy on her heart. And so she said, Dad, Dad, 
do you have any dental floss? And, uh, and, I, and I thought, you know, I thought to my mind, I said, you know what, I do have some dental flosses back there in the, in the room over there. And so she went and she checked, and apparently I was all out of dental floss. I think there's thieves in this church, but that's a different story, you know. But she came back, there's no dental floss, right? And so uh, she's all, you know, bummed because, you know, she's bummed out because I'm all out of dental floss, right? And then, you know, I, I just hit me. I said, wait a minute. I have a toothpick in my pocket, a toothpick that I found on the floor that's sealed and secure. I've never found a toothpick on the floor before. And so I pulled it out and I gave it to my daughter and she got that toothpick and she picked the gnarly stuff out, whatever it was that was in there. (laughs) And she smiled and she walked away. And I just bowed my head and worshiped. God, You care so much about us. I mean, you meet our needs. You you give us our wants. You know when we have something stuck between our teeth. (laughs) And you set it up so that, you know, boom, here's a toothpick, sweetheart. You know, and I was thinking about that too, and I said, Lord, you know, She needed the toothpick, you know, just out of curiosity, Lord, why didn't you just have her find the toothpick? You know, I was just curious. And and the Lord said, because you're her dad. And I will use you in her life. Give her what I've given to you. God is personal. God made it clear. God laid it on my heart. You know, and and he's trying to tell them that he does dwell with flesh. It's not just, it's not a multiplicity. It's not a plurality of God. This one God is a personal God. And he does dwell with us. Even in the point of making us his family and making us his friends. Even to the point of revealing secrets to us. God would prove these things to the world that they might witness his love and glory through the ministry of Daniel and his friends. And so what ends up happening is, you know, they're after Daniel, they're after all the wise men. And in verse 14, it says, Then with counsel and wisdom, Daniel answered Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He answered and said to Arioch, the king's captain, Why is the decree from the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the decision known to Daniel. So Daniel went in and asked the king to give him time that he might tell the king the interpretation. Then Daniel went to his house and made the decision known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, that they might seek mercies from the God of heaven concerning this secret so that Daniel and his companions might not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. You know, the king, too many tacos, whatever, has his dreams. We don't know if he remembered them or not, but we do know this. He made a decree. All you wise guys out there, tell me my dream, tell me my interpretation. 
And the wise guys say it's impossible. It's absolutely impossible. Only the gods could reveal that. And, you know, the gods don't dwell with flesh. And so they're ready to clean house. They're ready to knock down houses. They're ready to cut people into pieces. And they're looking for Daniel next. And so Daniel just is so cool. He says, hey, what's going on? And he gives them the information about what's happening. And Daniel, it's so cool. You know, he goes into the king's presence. Uh, remember, last time we saw how the king interviewed them personally. And he knew that Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel were ten times better than the others. And so when Daniel goes in, it probably carries a little more weight. And, and Daniel doesn't just go in and say it can't be done. Daniel just goes in and says, I'll tell you your dream. I'll tell you the interpretation. I just need to go on and spend time with the Lord first. I believe he was confident that God would speak to him. Very confident. And so he goes, he tells the king. Apparently the king gives him some time. And then what does he do? We read in verse 17 that he, go, he goes to his companions. He goes to his friends uh, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, he gathers his buddies together, he gathers his brothers together, and he just says this, he says, let's seek the Lord. Let's seek the Lord. You know, let's seek his mercies, you know, from the God of heaven. Lord, what can we do that we might not perish? Lord, what can we do that they might not perish? And we are to do what? We are to seek the mercies from God. And I like that, you know, because it doesn't say Daniel went and sought the dream. You know, Daniel went and sought the vision. Daniel went and sought the Lord. And I think that's very critical in our life. Because whatever the situation is, whatever the question is, whatever the trouble is, whatever the temptation is, there's always that, you know, inclination to go and, and just focus on that. And, and you know, it, it could be so many different things. You know, maybe you're single and it's just, and I understand, you know, I've never experienced that, but I can just imagine. I'm My heart goes out to you. I can't imagine how that can be very lonely at times. But I'm telling you this, that if you seek a, a, a spouse, you're, you're going you're to mess everything up. You've probably heard it a million times, but I want to tell you again, seek the Lord. You seek the Lord. And, and for all of us here, whatever our situations are, you know, We've got to seek the Lord. We've got to seek his mercies and just ask that we can really hear the voice and see the vision from the God of heaven. And you know what? It's so cool because I just know that God will reveal himself. You know, John 15, it says God tells secrets to his friends. You know, in Psalm 25, verse 14, it says the secret of the Lord is with those who fear him and he will show them his covenant. In the Old Testament, you have the word secret. In the New Testament, you have the word mystery. God will show you mysteries. God will reveal these things to you. You know, the Bible says in Matthew six thirty three to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. You know, we're living in a tough economy right now, and God says, I'll take care of your needs financially. 
Seek me first. But you got to make sure that you seek the Lord wholeheartedly. You know, Jeremiah 29, 11 through 13, God says, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. You know, God has a future for you. He really does. It's amazing. It's amazing. Uh, I love that line out of Turbo. You guys have seen that movie Turbo, right? And you know, uh, no dream is too big, no dreamer is too small. I love that. God has dreams for you. God has plans for you. I mean, you're the apple of his eye. God has a, a future for you that is so bright you need sunglasses. You know what I'm talking about? But you're not going to fulfill that purpose unless you seek the Lord. And unless you seek the Lord with all of your heart. Can I ask you a question? Are you seeking the Lord today with all of your heart? You know, is that is that the way that you're approaching the Lord? You know how it is. Sometimes we look for things. We really look for things. Sometimes we don't. You know, my wife asked me, do you have any, is there any ketchup? I look in the cupboard. No, I can't find it. You know, sometimes we just, we don't look for things the way that we should. We don't seek for the Lord as hidden treasure. And God just says, you know, you need to go a little deeper. And that's why I was talking to my kids as we were going over this study and, uh, yesterday. I just said, man, God wants us to go deep. God wants us to go deep. You know, and I, and I see that, you know, even in the football analogy, you know, God just says, go deep. Go deep. You know, not superficial. Yeah, I went to church. Yeah, you know, I did my five-minute devotions. Yeah, I read my chapter. You know, yeah, I flung a prayer up while I was walking out the door. No, really seeking the Lord. See, as they did this, God would be glorified. God would answer. If they didn't do it wholeheartedly and passionately, sincerely, genuinely, I don't think they would have received the vision. They wouldn't have received the secret, but because they did, God blessed. And if we do, God will bless. Because look what we read in verse 19. It says, And then the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. So Daniel blessed the God of heaven. You know, God gave Daniel the secret, something that otherwise would have been unknowable. It came as a vision during the night. You know, and and he answered the prayer. We know that visions, according to Acts chapter two seventeen, are still available today. And and it's so cool to see when Daniel got this vision. Imagine that. We're going to see, Lord willing, next week the vision of the the statue, the the gold, the silver, the bronze, the you know the iron and the clay, and just amazing how it's symbolic of Babylon and Medo Persia and Greece and the Roman Empire, and then the revived Roman Empire. And we're going to see Daniel was able to see the whole vision. And what ends up happening is there's this mountain, and it's like this rock, and it comes and it flies and it just crushes the kingdom of men. And then it says this rock, it just grows into this great 
glorious mountain. It's the kingdom that will never end. And Daniel knew the dream and he knew the interpretation of the dream. And, and man, he got blessed. He got blessed. You know, and, and what ends up happening is he just praised the God of heaven. And that's what we see in our closing section right here is really Daniel's response to the revelation. In verse 20, it says, Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. And he changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and secret things. He knows what is in the darkness and light dwells with him. I thank you and praise you, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we asked of you. For you have made known to us the king's demand. And I just want to touch on a few things before we close here today. And just, uh, you know, as the Lord does these these miracles, like, you know, and I know for you that toothpick thing is, is probably not like a, a big thing. But, you know, to me it, it is. And it makes me get on my knees and it makes me praise Him. And for the rest of my life, does God love my daughter? He loves my daughter. Does God love your kids? He loves your kids. Is God on the throne? You see what's going on in Iran and North Korea and Israel, Russia, China, Washington, D.C., Sacramento. Is God on the throne? Oh, let me tell you, he's on the throne. And we, we, we must praise him. And we worship. Our life is worship. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says our life is worship. And we sing because that's a reflection of worship. We praise God. See, and that's what Daniel does. I mean, in one sense, he kind of writes a psalm here. It's, you know, it's, it's a different format because even the translators see it as something special. He answered and he, and he said, Blessed be the name of God you know, forever and ever. Psalm 113 verse 2 says, Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. It's almost like now I, I've, something has happened in my life. It's now something has happened in my life and I will praise him now and forevermore. You know, and we have many reasons to praise him. Look what he says there in verse 20 again, for wisdom and might are his. You know, and, and we think of the Lord and who he is. Wisdom is what should be done. It's the application of knowledge. You know, might is the ability to do what needs to be done. And God has all wisdom and might, and he knows everything, and he knows everyone, and he knows every single possibility and probability, and he knows everything. He knows what should be done, but he alone has the power to also follow through and do what needs to be done. And for that, Daniel just praises him for his wisdom and his might. 
And in that wisdom and might, we see in verse 21 that, that he really does rule. He changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and raises up kings. You know, Daniel's over here and he sees Nebuchadnezzar. And who knows, maybe you see someone like Nebuchadnezzar and you get really impressed with someone like Nebuchadnezzar or Babylon or Israel or the king over there. And God said, God shows Daniel something so important. He says, he's not on the throne. He says, I'm on the throne. The NLT says that God determines the course of world events. He removes kings and sets others on the throne. God is the one who gives wisdom to the scholars. And, and we see that big time in the book of Daniel. Don't forget that. I know things happen and we worry about these rulers that are making these ungodly laws. And, you know, we got to do whatever we can to vote them out and to pray them out. And we do our part. Don't get me wrong. We don't lose our human responsibility. But in the end of the day, when we've done everything that we can to raise up godly leaders, at the end of the day, we trust God. We praise God for what he's doing because he's on the throne and times are getting worse and Jesus is coming. See, God is the one who determines the course of world events. Psalm 75, 6 and 7 says, exaltation comes neither from the east or the west or the south, but God is the judge. He puts down one and exalts another. You know, Babylon was on the throne, but Medo-Persia was coming and then Greece and then Rome and then the revived Roman Empire. And we see you know, that's going to be the last world empire when that European community rises and the Antichrist rises out of the revived Roman Empire. And we see things are being set up even today, but understand this, and we're going to see it next week, that that's not the end, that the last empire will be the everlasting empire. And Jesus Christ will rule forever. And we praise him. You know, Daniel, it's so cool. God not only has wisdom and might, but look, at he gives wisdom. Look at verse 21. He, Daniel's just praising the Lord. And he says, man, one thing about the Lord is he gives wisdom. He gives wisdom to the wise. How many of you here are wise? You guys are humble too, huh? You're like, I'm not going to raise my hand. A lot of you here are wise. God's going to give you more wisdom. God's going to give you more wisdom. It's amazing. We're still growing. We, we're still growing as Christians. Not only that, I think in our wisdom, um, you guys remember that saying, wise men still seek him? Right? In the wisdom. How foolish it is. How foolish it is that God's people don't seek God. But how wise it is when God's people seek him. And that's why he gives, you know, he gives wisdom to the wise that they may grow in wisdom he praises him it says in verse 4 he gives 21 he gives knowledge to those who have understanding and it's similar to what we just read but what we find is that God is just building and I think in one sense we're going to find as Daniel was at this place where he wanted to grow and God was doing this in his life he gives knowledge to those who have understanding you know, in one sense, he gives precepts to those who have principles. He gives specific words to those who have his general word. You know, God will speak to you. God will lay things on your heart. You're going to hear a still, small voice. Sometimes God will even speak through others. And you test those prophecies 
But God will give more knowledge to those who have understanding. And he says, you know, I praise him for that. I like what he says in verse 22. He reveals deep and secret things. You know, my prayer is that I would never be content with the superficial walk that's on the top, the common walk. You know, through a personal relationship with the Lord, he takes us deeper. He reveals things that I would otherwise never know. There's a lot of things that God wants you to know about your life, about your heart, about your spouse, about your child, about your future, about your calling. There's a lot of things that God wants you to know about his word, about his love, about him. There's so many things God wants you to know. God wants to take you deeper. God wants to give you a word. But so many times we do not give him the time of day. God wants to take us deeper as Christians. He can reveal lessons to me from the past that I missed, from the present that I'm missing, and even from the future. God knows everything about my future. We're going to see that in the book of Daniel. You know, God dwells with men. God dwells with me. God speaks to me. And sometimes God even speaks through us. You know, God will give you a word through someone. When someone comes up to you and says, the Lord wants me to tell you this. Of course, you test everything. But God still does things like that. First Thessalonians 5, 20 and 21, it says, Test all things, but don't despise prophecies. God wants to give you a special word that you would otherwise never know unless you seek him. I don't know about you, but I want all the information from the Lord that I can get. That's the type of God that we serve. He does dwell with us. He's Emmanuel, and he lives in my heart. And he's always speaking. Revelation, what was the word to the churches? In chapter 2 and chapter 3, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. Do you guys have ears? How many of you have ears? (laughs) We got to listen, right? You know, here we read in verse 22 that he knows what's in the darkness. How many of you here sleep with nightlights just out of curiosity, you know? (laughs) Because we know we were afraid of the dark. Well, we don't have to be afraid of the dark. There's nothing hidden from him. You know, he knows what's in the darkness. We praise him. When I think of darkness, I also think of enemies. God knows all about the enemies and the opposition of our soul. He knows what's there. We trust him. As a matter of fact, he knows what's in darkness because it says in verse 22 that light dwells with him. That light dwells with him. Psalm 139, 11 and 12 says, If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. And I like Psalm 139 because, you know, it's a comforting psalm because there's those times where we think, you know, that that we can get away from God. And God says, you know what, even if you traveled 186,000 miles, you know, per second, man, the speed of light, you can't run from me. And that day comes where you think, man, darkness is going to engulf me. and, And if Christ is in your life, that darkness will not swallow you. Jesus said in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Here's the key. 
follow the Lord. You follow the Lord, right? And then he'll take care of you in the dark. There's a lot of times we don't know what's around the corner. We don't know our future. We don't know our future. But we know the one who knows our future. That's all that matters. That's all that matters. You know, on Sunday nights, usually I get out late. Sometimes I'll get home maybe 11, 11.30 at night. And when I get home, I, I, I know what's going to happen. I almost like, you know, I don't know, I cringe at the thought. But I get in the house and the first thing my wife will say, you know, let the dog out. Let the dog out, right? And part of me wants to say, you know, you let the dog out. No, I'm just joking. I, <laughs> forgive me. Forgive me. That's my wicked nature, okay? But uh, so I let the dog out, you know, and uh, I go out there with him because it's dark. Anytime it's dark, I go out there with him. Why? Because I'll never forget the day that I saw the coyotes chasing Chip through the backyard. Man, they were on his tail. And I was like, whoa. And so I said, okay, this is real stuff. And so now I go out there with him in the dark to protect him. And God goes out there with you in the dark. And let me tell you, they might bark, but they cannot bite because you are God's. See? And, and, and Daniel here, he talks about God. He praises God. He worships God. And, and in verse 23, he says, I thank you and praise you, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the king's demand. Notice now how Daniel, he's not just talking about the Lord. Now he, he's talking about how he experienced it. I thank you and praise you, O God of my fathers. You have given who? Me. Wisdom. You've given me might. You've shown me what to do. And you've given me the power to do it. Thank you, Lord. And you have now made known to me. You gave me a vision. You showed me a secret. You spoke to me. See, it's one thing to, to read this and, and you're like, okay, I learned different things about God today and it's cool. I pray you would experience it. I pray that you'd be able to worship him and thank him and praise him because whatever the situation might be that's in your life, God will give you a word of wisdom and God will give you the power of the Holy Spirit to obey him. See? And that's where, you know, I want to encourage you guys today. You know, verse 20, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever. The name of God in the Old Testament is that covenant name, uh, Yahweh, Jehovah, Jehovah. You know, I am, right? I am. That's the Old Testament name of God. And it's cool to just reflect on that. I am basically whatever you need. I am the self-sufficient one. I am the self-existing one. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. You know, I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am whatever you need. That's who he is. We bless his name. And then when you get over to the New Testament, we know his name is Jesus. Bless his holy name. Jesus. Yahweh is salvation. 
Jesus. Acts 4.12, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus, bless his holy name. If you're here today and you don't know the Lord, you're not a Christian, you know, you don't know what would happen to you if you were to die today. You know, this whole thing is, you know, we want to build up the church and glorify God, but we also want to reach out to you. And God loves you. God sent his son Jesus to die on that cross for you, and he bore all your sins. He was then put in a grave, and he rose three days later. He conquered death. He proved who he was. He's not just a random rabbi or a passing prophet or some typical teacher. He's not like any other man. He conquered the coffin. He gutted the grave. He defeated death. He showed who he is. And all God says is this, I love you. I did all the work. This is what you got to do. You got to turn from your sins and trust in Christ as your Lord and Savior. You know, you just by faith, you give him your heart. You choose to follow him and make him the Lord of your life. And you watch, you watch what God will do. I pray that you would make that decision here today if you're not a Christian and that God will work in your life. He can do anything, man. He can mend marriages. He can heal bodies. Uh, He can give you a peace that you've never had. What you need to do is give your life to Christ. And so... Let's, uh, let's have uh, Henry, if you would, um, would you come up and close us in a word of prayer? And let's all stand together. You know, we're going to pray. We're going to sing a song. But if you want to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you feel God is calling you today and you want freedom and forgiveness, then after we sing this song, what I would ask for you and, and really anyone who wants to pray, needs prayer, you know, you come forward and we're going to have some of the guys up here Uh, to pray with you and just to spend that time with you, okay? Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we want to thank you so much, God, for, uh, Lord, allowing us this time to to praise you and, uh, Lord, allowing us this time to to be in your word. What an incredible passage, God, you've given us through a second. Daniel chapter 2, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that, um, Lord, not only do you dwell with us, Lord, but but you became flesh to live among us, God. And uh, Lord, thank you so much for this chapter. Lord, help us to have, uh, Lord, the faith of of Daniel. Help us to have the faithfulness of Daniel, Lord. Because you are today the God of Daniel, help us, Lord, to trust you like he did, uh, Lord. And just bless this day. And again, as, as Pastor Manny said, Lord, if there's anyone here, don't let them walk away without, Lord, being right with you. Thank you so much. Bless this time. We pray. We love you. In Jesus' name. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.